This is Local 304, a podcast featuring a far-left Appalachian perspective on news and politics from the Mountain State of West Virginia. We are West Virginians, and we are unapologetically socialist. I'm your host, Wolfman Jack, coming to you from the Purple Grotto on the west side of hip and historic Charleston, West Virginia. It's episode seven, and I'm talking to Anoa Changa from The Way with Anoa. Welcome to The Resistance. Hello, and thanks for being with us. Anoa Changa is an organizer from Atlanta, Georgia, but she has a great interest in West Virginia. I met her online just a few short weeks ago and knew immediately that I wanted to interview her for the podcast. Then a couple weeks ago, she was making a trip to town and came by the Purple Grotto after driving all day long. We thank her for that. We started talking and hit it off immediately. The next week, she was at the People's Summit in Chicago, and I really enjoyed listening to her live cast from there. And if you've not listened to her podcast, check it out. It's called The Way with Anoa. This is a really great conversation, and I know you're going to love it. But first, the news. President Trump announced this week that he was reversing the Obama administration's path to normalization of relations with Cuba, citing human rights abuses. The Castro government shot back on Friday with its own list of concerns in the U.S., including racial discrimination, salary inequality between men and women, the marginalization of immigrants and Islamic refugees, Trump's proposed wall on the southern border, his decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord, the imprisonment of enemy combatants at Guantanamo Bay, the killing of U.S. and foreign citizens in drone attacks, the wars in Iraq and other Middle Eastern countries, and estimates that the Republican health care bill would cause 23 million people to lose medical insurance. That Republican health care bill, the AHCA, may come up for a vote as early as this week. West Virginia Senator Shelley Moore Capito is considered a key vote on the legislation because she is one of a handful of moderate Republicans whose constituents would be gravely affected. If passed, over 180,000 West Virginians are likely to lose their health insurance. Over 51% of the state's children will lose coverage now provided through Medicaid or CHIP. Capito this week characterized the bill as a transition to state-funded to a state-funded program. But given the recent half-billion-dollar hole in the West Virginia budget, it seems unlikely the state could absorb the cost. If you would like to let Senator Capito know that you oppose the Republican health care plan, you may reach her Washington office's office at 202-224-6472. That's 202-224-6472, and I hope you'll call. The West Virginia legislature wrapped up budget talks late on Friday night this week after an arduous special session. The new budget has nothing for anyone. Senate Republicans and Democratic Governor Jim Justice were unable to push through tax cuts for the rich, while legislative Democrats were unable to protect funding for higher education. Democratic Delegate Larry Rowe called it an immoral budget that was balanced on the backs of young people. And Senator Richard Ojeda said the path to prosperity had been shot down. The debate was very contentious, opening a rift between legislative Democrats and the Democratic governor, as well as House and Senate Republicans. Robert Carnes, the senator from Florida, was especially noted for his brash and fantastically stupid remarks. The bill has now been sent to the governor for approval.
Hi, I am here now with Anoa. Anoa Changa. Is that how you say your last mm-hmm. name? That's right. right. Anoa, and she is the host of a podcast uh, called The Way with Anoa. And she is, you're not from here right now. You don't live in West Virginia. I don't Where do you live, live in West Virginia. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia now, but okay. I lived in West Virginia for a total of eight years. And, and once I did a year in high school and seven years uh, as an adult. So very, very familiar and fond. Okay. A year in high school? Yes. You know I, I, was in, I went to Morgantown High School for a year. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, right. so we were probably in Morgantown at the same time a little bit because I lived in Morgantown for about seven okay. years. Okay, right. yeah. So I was in, I was in Morgantown for a high for a year in high school, and then I moved back for law school, and then uh, after law school, I moved down here to Charleston okay. and worked worked here for now, for some time. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I've been messing with levels. Can you move that mic slightly closer to you? Yes, yeah. definitely. Okay, just so I'm not too loud. All right. <laughs> All right. So you live where now? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia now. Okay. And tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do besides podcasting? Uh, well, I, I'm a I'm an attorney during the day and a mom all the time. Um, I have a 13 and almost 16 year old who are very happy to be back for at least part of the summer. I'm here in Charleston, and uh, I also do I guess some organizing of organizers and facilitating good people and good conversations and what, stuff. What do you so, mean by organizing of organizers? Um, working with folks who 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 do ground organizing, kind of connecting different people from different organizations and different issue based. Uh, you know, campaigns and stuff like that to kind of like do more collaborative work. Um, so across issues. So I don't necessarily directly lead a particular group, you know, on the ground in Georgia, but more so help facilitate uh, larger networks of people. Okay. Um, so I feel like there are a lot of great people who are doing more of that on the ground, right. direct action. And I just like to help connect people with resources and other good folks to work with and things like that. Is your, is your, your square job, your day job, is that, um, like your lawyer is it related to this at all not at all okay is it one of those jobs you're ashamed of no i'm not ashamed i'm not ashamed of my day i don't it's 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 a it's a good job um i i got my kids i had my kids were small when i was in law school uh and the economy bottomed out when i was graduating so my original you know pick of jobs no longer existed so this um my position is a is a good position i work with a federal agency it's a good position and it lets me have, you know, a good work week. You're not CIA or FBI, are you? No, 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 not anything like okay. that. <laughs> right. Not anything like that. I tend to be hesitant only because I don't, people ask questions oh, no. and I can't I worked actually... for, like, people who know me know, I worked for a state agency. Uh-huh. And, like, you're kind of muzzled a little bit about what you can say with your full name. Yeah, public, and, what so. you, and what your actual title yep. and stuff is. So I try to, I try really hard to keep what I do outside of work very separate. Um, to stay like you know on 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 the up and up all right with the different rules so and, but yeah. you live in Atlanta I live in the city of Atlanta yeah all right cool and she's actually here with her sister my uh, oh, wait a minute Urena Urena yeah sorry yeah, you're I very apologize. close very close I'm terrible with names Urena all right and I, I I just met these folks in person I've I've uh, 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 talked to um, Anoa online quite a bit here in the last mm-hmm. month yeah about the last about. month or so yeah. Uh, but Irena came came with her over here uh, to the Purple Grotto, and the the first thing she said is, "Are you drinking bourbon?" <laughs> and both of these ladies are here drinking bourbon with me, and I already love them for that reason. So oh yeah, already... bourbon! I moved down, I moved further south, and discovered bourbon. I'm like, wow, yes, sure. 
All right. I am usually drinking something while I'm recording the podcast. And actually on the the ones, last one's not bad, but the one I did with Karen Island and the one I did with Kathy Kunkel, you can literally hear us drinking. <laughs> you can hear this sound a whole lot. A whole lot. And I went back. My last podcast was with Ted Bettner from the West Virginia Center on Budget and Policy. And it sounds pretty good. Uh, but then later in the night, I went and tried to record the tags and all of that stuff. And this is the reason I was late getting it out because I went and I went back to listen to it the next day. I'm totally slurring my speech and everything. It just sounds horrible. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, I can't do that. The, the actual interview sounds okay, but at that point, I'd just been drinking too much. So, uh, what do you want to talk about first, Anoa? Well, I think one of the uh, let, let me say, everybody should go listen to her podcast. She has lots of people talking about lots of important issues uh, in the United States, but she also has a lot of people from West Virginia and Appalachia in general. And you may have to help me because I don't know that I've even heard all of them, but you had Sabrina Sh- Schrader. I had Sabrina Schrader. I had Katrina Mooney. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last year, Chris Hale and I sat down and did a did a chat. I'm trying to think who else I've had. Um, it'll come to me, but oh, I have I have a pending date set up with Crystal Good to do to do a cool. sit down as well. I know Crystal. Um, but but you know what what we can kick off with is is just just my affinity of West Virginia. Like how we even got connected was mm-hmm. you know some time ago everybody was like oh my god Joe Manchin's awful we need to go primary Joe Manchin and the biggest thing that kept sticking out to me I, I haven't lived in West Virginia for like three years now but still. Someplace, you know, I, I like I said, I hold very fond, and my kids are very attached to to our friends and stuff here. But so I would look at different people from you know larger multi, uh, social media platforms or independent news media folks, and like, oh my God, Joe Manchester. I'm like, do you know anything about West Virginia? Have you even set set foot there? I mean, do you have mm-hmm. you talked to actual people on the ground? Do you know any organizers? So I I start posting like, who are you know? I have my rants, but I was like, who are good people on the ground actually involved in politics and policy and organized stuff? Who are the people I should be talking to? That we should be, that people should be talking to. And not just spouting off at the mouth. And you were one of the people that it was I was suggested to, to connect with cool. as someone who was, you know, moving and shaking and <laughs> conversating. So yeah, I have opinions about Joe Manchin, friend yeah. of the show. He is not exactly <laughs> at all. But uh, yeah, so um, so what do you think of Joe Manchin? No, you were here when he I was, was here. What, I, was, I was here when he was governor, yeah. and I was, and he was my senator. Um, I'm pretty sure my kids probably met him during the Veterans Day parade because my son would march as a Boy Scout. So, right. um, so I'm pretty sure they've 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 shook the hands and did all that good sure. stuff. So, you know, part of my thing was less what I really think of him. I mean, what I think of him is I think he's a he's an interesting form of Democrat. You know, like like we we talked about this this is he's the type of person who's probably really more of a republican but for whatever reason i I don't know if it's because of the entrenched power or whatever it is identifies as democrat um you know kathy kunkel was mm -hmm. on the show and you said you read her piece in jack yeah i did and one of the unusual things about um west virginia democrats is they've been so aligned to the coal industry since uh Mm -hmm. the 1930s and and in a very weird way, because you think of Democrats being labor and Republicans yeah. being industry. Yeah. And instead, Democrats aligned with the entire coal industry, both labor and capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their interests have always been kind of mixed through the entire right. history. And when the miners had the power, mm-hmm. uh, when we were employing 120,000 miners in 1948, uh, they were beholden to them 
the miners don't hold the power now. The right. bosses do, not because of numbers, but because of campaign contributions and whatever else. And so right. they're kind of beholden to those people now. And I think Joe's a good example of that. Of course, Joe also is uh, he's uh, not a cooperator, but he's um, uh, what's it called? The uh, he leases property. Yeah, it's mine, yeah, so, uh, yeah. There's a name for call, uh, broker, maybe call broker. I can't Something remember. like that. I there's think. A yeah. Title for it, but yeah. So, uh, so you think West Virginians should should be involved in in uh, deciding their own leaders? That's a weird. I know weird, it's such a novel concept, yeah. but like the thing is, you know, you have this all this progressive movement and political revolution, you know, stuff going <laughs> on, and there are all these people who are talking about, you know, making decisions for ourselves and not having people dictate us dictate dictate to us what should be happening and i find that there are a lot of people on like the national level who are just so passionate about what they're saying they're really not thinking about how that trickles down to places like a west virginia when Mm -hmm. it comes to okay we don't like what someone's doing in senate these people need to go do this but aren't you doing the same thing that you're saying that the establishment dims are doing to you right? right so so my thing has been trying to connect with people, whether it's here, whether it's in Missouri, you know, Alabama, wherever, trying to connect people who are actually, you know, on the ground, who are actually affected and engaged in doing work instead of just, you know, sitting behind my mic right. pontificating about stuff I yeah. don't know and firsthand. I, I know and I got to talk for a half hour, 45 minutes before <laughs> we started recording um, outside. And, and we go to the same church because we have a very st- – very similar theory of power mm-hmm. and 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 i it it i always refer to it as radical democracy that's what what basically what i believe in mm-hmm. in that um democracy is not just electoral uh that that we want as much participatory participatory give me another bourbon another <laughs> as much participatory <laughs> democracy as we can possibly have right and, right. and that and that necessitates and this is the thing that I think a lot of my progressive friends have a problem with. It necessitates some uncomfortable conversations with people. Absolutely. So here in West Virginia, um, it, it, and and I think liberals, my friend Paul's going to yell at me for using that word, but I think liberals um, naturally shy away from people who have uh, uh, social views, what are typically called social, which right. I don't even like that designation, but social views that are not progressive mm-hmm. um, and a, a lot of progressive people uh, want to talk about uh, economic issues mm-hmm. and don't always see how those two things are related which right. is very troubling to me because I, I don't know how you don't understand how those two things are related um, but but whichever you do you in a in a state like West Virginia which is historically been very socially conservative mm-hmm. you have to have some conversations with people uh who may not see the world exactly the way that you see it but who may have some shared interests absolutely um and for for whatever reason and i could opine about religion or right, know, whatever right. um that that may lead to those things um and but but those conversations with people need to happen mm-hmm. it, it's not simply oh I'm going to have some purity test for someone to make sure that they're the right kind of person. And if they check all the boxes, maybe that works for candidates. I don't know if it works for candidates or not. But the fact is you live next to people who mm-hmm. have different views than you do. Mm-hmm. And and we live in a – well, we kind of live in a democracy. <laughs> um, but we live in something like a democracy where at least we have some access to – 
to these things, and we should be able to engage our neighbors and our family and our friends about things and engage in those conversations and even challenge them mm-hmm. about the things that they, they believe. But mm-hmm. I, I feel strongly that we have enough shared um, shared interest and shared values as well because people say they vote people vote their interests that's true but they also vote their values mm-hmm. and I you know the Republican Party has hijacked the term family values but to me you know things like paid family leave health care for everybody those things are family values yeah, because that's how you build yeah. your family education yeah, absolutely. those are how you build your family when it comes to what have been traditionally uh, divisive issues in West Virginia and in other so-called red states um things around uh, uh, LGBT rights um, or guns or uh, abortion or any of those things, Mm -hmm. um, I have my views about those things, and I want to engage people who think differently than me, but I have to think at the end of the day that a large number of them are going to share at least some of the same values. Right. Um, Doesn't doesn't mean I, I give them a pass. (laughs) <laughs> you know, right, when right, they have right. when they have what I think are aberrant values uh, that 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 need challenged. You know, mm-hmm. that, that really do. You know, when you know Uncle Timmy at Thanksgiving, you know, starts in on about well, if we didn't have all these gays doing their thing or whatever, you know, I think he needs to be challenged. Mm-hmm. I do, um, but Uncle Timmy needs health care. You know, and and you know he needs those things. And I think when it comes at least to a theory of power. Uh, and how we affect real change, I think that's kind of a starting point at right. least. So. Well, I like a part of what you just said there about talking to people about their values, right? Talking about issues that cross-cut across any group or whatever that are right. affecting the majority of us. Um, I also think that we need to reframe some of these dialogues, Absolutely. right? Like, you know, just even taking, for example, the whole dust up in Nebraska over supporting an anti-abortion candidate, I really think that what people personally believe, I think I don't have to agree with someone to respect the fact that they have an opinion. Mm-hmm. I may not like your opinion. I may, not, I may think your opinion is really, really awful, but I respect the fact that you exist and you have an opinion. Right. Now, we can have a conversation instead of me telling you that your opinion is wrong about like rights and protecting, you know, people's rights and how they exist in society, et cetera. And if we can all agree that there are certain rights that exist that should be protected or whatever, you know, you still have your opinions. I don't have to attack you. You still have your beliefs, but there is some basic, you know, human rights that we're going to protect, that we're going to work on, and and how that gets defined is a whole nother conversation. Sure. But I really think that we need to reframe, re, re, reframe how we have these conversations. And again, like you pointed out, healthcare instead of looking, starting off with things that are uniters versus dividers, right. and even the whole conversation about like I thought it was brilliant when you said to we need to reframe the conversation about family values because things like healthcare, yes. paid family leave, these are things that are family values we need to take care of our families honestly i would even i would even say even around things like uh lgbtq rights Mm -hmm. uh i think that needs to be reframed uh Mm -hmm. in terms of um you know people come from different religious backgrounds and Mm -hmm. that in west virginia and so many other states is such a powerful force and 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 i have my opinions about that and that's probably a discussion for another time (laughs) but i think for a lot of people framing the discussion in terms of do you think that it's your business what people do in their bedroom? I think framing the discussion that way for a lot of people flips that narrative 
and and makes them yeah see because it in when a really you center it into conversations about personal morality and stuff you're going to get into these these battles philosophical or otherwise that ultimately aren't what you know legal determinations and stuff right. or even even turn on right so i mean it's done that way to get people hyper polarized and really you know fired up about things that ultimately because, yeah. don't affect like what i mean like someone someone who is you know lesbian or trans or gay you know whether all these whole host of issues that people are getting so riled up that don't actually affect their daily lives they're being distracted from actually Absolutely. talking about like you said, healthcare, and what did you say? It was 120,000 people that were added to roles here. Oh no, 175,000. 175,000 people here Medicaid in West Virginia yeah. under Medicaid. That's a, that, that is the huge. Yeah. That that are so those are so many lives that have been benefited, you know, in a very positive way. And it's just like you know, just thinking about this past election, people were voting based on maybe certain, maybe some people voted based on certain opinions about certain issues and then realized that, hey, something like healthcare, which benefits me, is on the chopping block. So right. if Democrats are really trying to, you know, have a breakout year in 2018 on the March to 2020, I mean, reframing it, you know, organizers, people who are organized on a local level, reframing things in terms of positives for communities. Yeah. Versus, yeah, you know, absolutely, you know, and, and again, you're not saying that you that you have. To, I don't believe that we need to abandon social issues. Absolutely. I think that's a bad strategy it as is. well. We just need to find a, a different way of communicating at what's at stake and what we should be talking about versus just repeating some of the same old, um, I think, failed tactics that that obviously aren't working. Yeah, the, the, the fear mongering definitely does not work. The the thing is that I think. Uh, like we were, I've had this conversation with a lot of people about the use of wedge issues, mm -hmm. and I am a strong believer that if the Democrats are going to start winning, and let me say, you know, I'm a socialist. Do I want the Democrats to win? Um, yeah, I guess in a way. I mean, I do. I mean, definitely. Well, I think to you got to gotta build out alternatives, right? I, As yes, long until there's yes. like a. Uh, I know people get upset with their no I, the conversation about viability and third but. <laughs> Well, that's a real conversation, right. though, right? Like, okay. Like, it's really cool if you're, like, a, you know, a middle-class guy with two degrees in, like, um, you know, uh, poli uh, whatever, political science, to, to declare yourself a Maoist or whatever and belong to a party that has 500 people in it across the United States. But a lot of us are, like, trying to, like, feed our families, you know? Like... I, I like I'm being serious like a lot of us are trying to get our kids to school on time in the morning and are trying to make sure that we can pay our grocery bill mm -hmm. you know <laughs> so like that stuff matters well even if like that person for example there's something to be said about if you're if you're organizing locally and you're actually taking the time to educate people about if you truly believe that you, your other party alternative is a viable option for people to be supporting you shouldn't just sit there and say well democrats suck you need to be voting for us because that's what democrats do about republicans that we hate and they're right? losing <laughs> right that's not going to help you no. what you really need to do is invest in your the communities that are around you yep. and actually you know do voter and political education and, and give people an opportunity and the choice and there are some people who will see the opportunity because for some folks in some in some areas you know the democratic party is actually very hard if you're not 
already connected to whatever you know existing elites and family and things of that nature so it can be hard for some people to to break through and get involved so there are people out there who could be good candidates for some type of other party alternative on the local level Mm -hmm. to really rise you know there may be you know look at what your your own rules are too because you may have be able to have some type of collaborative you know party alignments to to run people locally as well but it's going to be a very long time before on the those those larger um, seats nationally, the presidencies, senatorial seats that we see, you know, strong third parties like actually taking those seats. The, the thing that I've organized. Yeah, on the, the thing ground. I find with with third parties, um, and I'm gonna get in trouble with all my WWP people who who are friends of mine. But it, I, the thing, the trouble I have with them is, you're gonna run a presidential campaign. My my thing is, what are you doing right now about Citizens United? Because if you're not if you're not fighting those types of battles, that you're just running, I wouldn't even call it a protest. I mean, it's a much as it's about as much of a protest as a mosquito is to a a, a cow. You know, I mean, like it, it's it's just not. Uh, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't move the conversation. Um, so I'm a big believer in using wedge issues. Republicans have used them strategically and mm. have been, and we have to give them credit. Have been extremely successful. In using guns, in using abortion, and using gays, using dog whistle politics—not explicit, well, sometimes explicit racism—but like using those things to divide working mm-hmm. families in the United States, and they've been very effective in it. And I and I will opine that I actually don't think um, they give a shit about most of those issues. <laughs> like, like I, I think if Republicans could win being uh, pro-gay. They would totally be pro-gay. Like if they could figure out a way to make that a way to stay in power and still screw over working families, they would totally do that. I don't think, uh, I, I don't think most of the people who hold real power, and that's not necessarily say people who are seated in Congress, although some of those people, but the Cook brothers, Cook brothers, or whoever, considering like, how they they, support, they care about their money, like they, they support about. some things that we might see on his face, like like they'll actually they've started shifting towards investing money in programs that are actually looking at criminal justice reform policies. Really? So so it's it so the, so that's a really great example actually with the Koch brothers because you know we think of the Koch brothers a certain way and and you people have done investigative Greg Palas has done you know tons of investigative work showing how they've invested in the the cross check system that has suppressed millions of voters nationwide and other stuff but then there is some murmurings or I think they actually I think I'm thinking it was a murmuring I think they actually have a grant program for criminal justice work, um, which is interesting. I think they, there was a meetup or something like that with, with some activists. It's something that happened. I, I, I'll have to find the link and send it to you later on. But um, So, no, I think that's a really good example that they just want to have. And how do you control things? that You, you control both sides of the board. Sure. And, I mean, so I, I mean, I'm a Marxist and, and make no bones about it. And so I think it's strategically they are – simply finding as many ways as possible to divide the working class, to mm-hmm. divide uh, working families in, uh, and if it's if it's race, if it's um, sexuality and gender issues, uh, wh- whatever it is, they can use to make sure that that the people who are labor, uh, not necessarily organized labor, but, but the labor force, right. and, and their families, and, and everyone who's whatever, uh, doesn't have power. I, I think that's kind of their game, and 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 I think f- 
for the Democrats just need to find uh, wedge issues, and but not bullshit wedge issues, like actual things that matter. Um, Medicare for all, an expanded Medicare for all, uh, paid family leave, uh, the fight for 15, things that will make a difference in people's lives. I, I don't understand why it's difficult for Democrats, who are supposed to be the party of the people, to say, we believe that anyone who works 40 hours a week should not live in poverty. I don't know how it's even possible for them to, like, I mean, I think you should run on, I don't think anyone should live on poverty, <laughs> but <laughs> the idea the idea that you that you have people who say, you know, who are Democrats, who you have this conversation with them and they say, this person works 40 hours a week, you know, uh, at Walmart or at McDonald's or whatever they work at, um, and they can't support their family. Well, they need to get a better job. Basically, what you're saying is I think there should be a class of people, a class of workers who cannot support themselves, which is just a bizarre position for the party of the left in this country to even espouse. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's just so weird. But I have to believe <clears throat> we were talking about 2018. Uh, and we've got Russia, 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 Russia. And there was an article, it was in Politico or The Hill, I can't remember which, mm -hmm. uh, maybe two weeks ago, about how there was an internal discussion in the DNC uh, and basically it boiled it down to are they going to focus on Russia or are they going to focus on healthcare? And it's like... You have to be insane. Like, and I, I, I say to all of them, and, and let me be clear about this for any of my liberal friends. Yes, I think that Donald Trump and his son-in-law probably did some untoward things with Russia and whatever. You know, like, I think there's probably a chance that that happened. And they probably did it so that they could personally benefit from whatever their investments are in Russia and blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Um, I don't find that particularly uh, – I don't even think that's an anomaly in American politics, like, at all. And us getting really worked up – as far as I can tell, all – like, no one is saying Russians hacked into voting machines. Like, everyone – like, as far as I can get – And that gets – and that has been <laughs> – at the start of this all, it was clearly said no one's alleging that they changed any vote tallies right. or basically, any machines were hacked. Basically, they put out a bunch of propaganda and a bunch of Americans fell for it. Um, like – we literally, we have literally done worse in the last 10 years, like in Honduras, you know, and what, and then you look at the entire last, whatever, 60, 70 years, you know, in Iran, uh, you know, all over, all over East Africa, all kinds of places that we've done like really, you know, you know, supporting mm. the right wing in a country when a, a left-wing leader comes into, into power, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, like, the idea that we're going to have, like, some sort of self-righteous thing, I'm just like, Ugh. you know, like, it's boring to talk about for me because it's like, why are we even having this conversation about this? Yes, I think Russia probably drowned us in propaganda. Why would they not do that? Like, they're the second most powerful country in the world, and we do the same thing and worse all over. Of course they're going to do that. And, and we probably influenced uh, their elections in whatever it was, 96 or Something whatever. like that, yeah. yeah. So it's like, yes, I think they did something. Do I think that matters to most people over here on the west side of Charleston where I live? I don't think most of them care. Um, like, maybe maybe a lot of them do, but just kind of in an abstract way of, like, Donald Trump's a bad person, you know? Right. And, and, but the, the issue is, you know, when November of 2018 rolls around... <clears throat> And you gotta head to the polls. Are are you gonna go? You know, I'm really mad about Russia. Or are you gonna be like, you know, I have a cousin who has leukemia, 
and I need to make sure that they don't die. You know, like that right. seems like way bigger of a of a well, thing. Well, this reminds me of when the government shutdown happened in 2013, right? And you know, you got Ted Cruz, you know, basically doing a Newt Gingrich crybaby falling apart because he's not getting his way and he wants to shut the government down until he gets his way and he never gets his way anyway. And when you look at the approval ratings, like the congressional approval rating was so low, but the Republican approval rating was really low and they were the party getting blamed for the shutdown and you know, Democrats were like, yeah, ha ha ha. But 2014 came around and it's not like there was a huge uptick no, in seats and stuff. So this type of stuff does not necessarily, necessarily translate into, you know, people at the polls in districts that, you know, are must win to maintain plus adding some more seats, you know, to, to balance out power in Congress um, or building out, you know, for 2020. So like you said, like, so yes, I, you know, the investigations, you know, investigate, you know, that, sure. that should, that should be carried out. That should happen. But the constant barrage of the Russia stuff, and it's really not amounting to anything that directly actually affects Okay, people on Facebook, you know, may have been influenced because they were targeted a certain way. Well, you know, maybe other campaigns now will learn a lesson, too, about how right. people are using social media. But social media is still only accounting for a portion of our population. Yep. There's what, just a little under half the voting age population did not vote at all. Right. And that is that is disconcerting that, that we would rather pay attention to the 20 whatever percent that was supposedly influenced versus those people who like you said like just like sitting here on the west side of charleston there are people worried about jobs education health care a whole host of issues that they are not being directly engaged on but russia russia we, russia you russia, know russia. we have we have like uh the recent french election i think i read and by the way any statistics i quote on my podcast <laughs> do not do not go look for them because I'm I don't want to be accused of hashtag fake news, but like I don't know what it was seventy eight percent somewhere mm -hmm. between seventy eighty percent in the French election voter turnout. Mm -hmm. I think the last election we were somewhere in fifty fifty percent fifty five percent nationwide. Yeah, is that right? Something like that. Yeah. Here on the west side of Charleston, we were somewhere between 20 and 30 percent i don't know exactly wow. where it was and i really get pissed off when i listen to folks say that's because of voter apathy i'm like no it's because the thing they care about are their families like if if they could if they could connect uh voting with how it affects their families mm -hmm. And, and don't get me wrong, like, I think you should have voted in the last election regardless. I really do. I think you should have. And I, I, But not shame on you, just right. I think you should Right, it's not an excuse. It's not yeah. to excuse people, but we really do need to look critically you know, about and there, there why were like these is. Facebook posts, you know, going around that were like, oh, um, uh, you know, if you didn't vote, if you didn't vote for Hillary in the last election, then you voted against me because I'm, I'm gay or I'm trans or I'm, I'm Mexican or whatever. And, and I get that sentiment. Like, I totally, totally get mm -hmm. that sentiment. And I wish that were enough to motivate people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I started to give a really rude and gross proverb that I've heard before about wishing in one hand and doing something in the other one. But, the, <laughs> but like, but like you wish away all you want. That actually isn't going to create a difference, you know, in our country. 
we're going to take a quick break, if you're okay with that. Yeah, that's All good. Right? And we're going to come back and talk a little bit about identity politics. We've kind of hinted at that just a little bit mm-hmm. and get into West Virginia uh, a little bit more and give us a chance to uh, freshen the ice in our drinks. So we will be right back. from the way with Anoa. Hey, I have to ask you this. How'd you get your awesome theme music? Oh, I have. So I'm trying to think because I have two different theme songs. Well, the one that has the voiceover in it. Shout out to Michael Salomon, another podcaster. Um, he uh, he did it for me. He he he's also a music person. Um, you know, former musician, producer, and stuff like that. And so um, he kind of has taken me under his wing a little bit, and he did my my, my theme song because I did because I do all my music for, uh-huh. for this. I've got a bunch of different breaks and okay, okay. and then the the closing music is this my band the Big Bad, and it, so it's it was kind of obvious thing for me. And I was listening to your podcast. I'm like, ah, yours even has your name in it. That's so cool. Yeah. So he's yeah yeah yeah. So um so YouTube because I also do a live stream on YouTube. So YouTube will I didn't always do that. Black YouTube always so yeah most of my episodes are actually the audio is actually ripped from a YouTube video but then some of them are just straight podcast episodes okay, too but um but anyway so YouTube like there's like these different like bots that just flag people's right, stuff right. automatically and then you got to go through so every time like every video I've done over the past year we would have to go in and challenge the copyright dispute it's always clear because he owns he you know he gave me he, he's like here I, I created this so I'm giving it to you so I have the copyright for it and I send them the I copy the, the language in all the time YouTube is the devil YouTube <laughs> is awful but um, people like seeing the live stream so I do them so, so most of my YouTube is, videos now do not have the intro in it but I add it in when I do the podcast yeah you said YouTube is the I have a YouTube channel but I don't use it for <laughs> this at all uh-huh. I use it just to put out like a couple of videos of me doing music and stuff. Ah, and it's, okay. it's absurd because I, I always tell this story to people. So the the 12-year-old who lives here mm-hmm. also has a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. His gets more traffic than me. But So I made a video down here. I have a bunch of synthesizers and stuff, and I was mm-hmm. doing just some little improvisations, and I recorded something on YouTube. I was like, that's pretty cool. And I, I posted it, and the next day it had like 67 views. I was like, that's awesome. Then I was talking about it like at dinner. I was like, this is already 67 views. And the 12-year-old says, well, that's all right. And I was like, what do you mean that's all right? And he said, well, you know, that's okay. And we're like, how many views do you get? So I look on his channel, and, like, every single video has at least, like, 500 views. Wow. But he has, like, a Spider-Man fan film that he made uh, here with just kids in the neighborhood and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it has it has 40,000 views. <laughs> I know. Isn't that, that crazy? That is amazing. It's crazy. So, anyway, we're going to shift the conversation back to talking about politics and all of that sort of thing. And we kind of hinted at this as far as... Uh, and, and I kind of have varying, I don't know, maybe evolving views on this mm-hmm. um, because I'm new to organizing. I'm new to all of that sort of thing. I've cared about politics for a long time, but in terms of thinking about how you build power right. and those sorts of things, thinking about some issues as being good organizing issues, uh, but that might not necessarily be, uh, or, or other issues that are important, 
but not necessarily good organizing issues. Um, and that may not be a helpful way to think about it. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. This is just kind of where I am right at this, this moment. But something that has come up a lot on, on your Facebook, I've noticed, uh, is this issue of identity politics. And I notice a lot of times uh, on a lot, I lurk mostly on a lot of uh, you know lefty um, kind of Facebook groups and stuff, and it, it becomes kind of this weirdly divisive issue um, that I, I I frankly don't really understand uh, people on the left having a problem with it. Uh, but maybe <laughs> well I don't. I mean I, I really uh -huh. don't. Um, but so so what's your take on all that? So couple different things right and 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 i know there are some people who are like well you're just lumping everyone together no a lot of it comes even if i'm, I'm having an angry moment and ranting it really ultimately comes from a place from there are some really great people who i work with that i do not necessarily always agree with but i really what? need to be heard and understood on this particular issue like um, but with, with the notion of identity politics and, and, and it's a really interesting conversation and uh, I think, you know, one thing that, that has really come to the surface and trying to, like, parse things out, some is like, you know, Bernie Sanders, for example, came under fire because he had some just preliminary remarks about it and just basically said, like, you know, he something to the effect that's been dwindled down to identity politics is bad and Democrats need to, you know, uh, abandon it. Now, that's not what he entirely said you know he he like in in a written interview he went on and explained what he meant and what i one of the things that irks me about bernie sanders bernie's great you know whatever but is the his lack of nuance sometimes when he's talking like yeah, bernie's very sure. direct he's a, he's a, he's an old brooklyn boy like my dad and my granddad you know they're very direct they're very to the point they're not always politically correct when they speak that's just that's just that's just how the way brooklyn boys roll sometimes mm -hmm. right unfortunately you know the way the current culture of politics is especially when you talk about the left the democrats people care more about appearances when you speak than actually intent in your meaning and yeah. what you're trying to get yeah. at and, 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 you know, what he said was, which I absolutely agree with, you know, just being, you know, Latino or just being a woman or just being black is not good enough to support a candidate, right? right. You know, we should be supporting candidates that, yeah, we should support a diverse group of candidates. We should support people who are good on the issues. And I've heard so many different people say the same exact thing. They've just said it in language that sounds nicer. Sure. Right? And, and so. And, but it, but yeah. it should be said, too. And I'm a. I'm a Bernie Sanders fan, but it should be said too that if you believe in radical democracy, mm -hmm. then then the left should be leveraging power to provide spaces for people to speak for themselves. So that's a, so right. So that's the other that's the other side of it, right? Like it's a very it's a very like daunting act. It's the same argument like how we, you touched on this a little bit when we were talking in the first half that. Um, you know, there are people who are like left or progressive who are really focused on economic issues where they don't really want to get into social issues, right? And and and, and, and it really is this tension that somehow if we just just address the, the system that is capitalism in America, but the problem is when you look at the creation of capitalism Absolutely. in America and the way it has Amen. not only exploited, you know, particular groups of people, some more than other at various points in times, others have been, you know, you know, parsed out like part of when you there was a piece I think there's been a couple of different pieces about this actually about like the creation of white white 
white as a distinction here in America mm-hmm. and like how Irish and Italians and, right. and Jewish people were not because like even at the time Bernie Sanders was like a teenager Jewish people were not considered white right. and so when you think about how like the social construction of those identities and stuff were basically created to, 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 to further separate groups um, like like really digging in and deep and having those conversations I think is actually necessary for us to be able to move forward as a collective yeah. and collaborative because once you begin identifying Jewish people as white, for yeah. example, um, and and that's their primary designation. All of a sudden, they're identifying with white culture and and right. all of those sorts of things. You know, Anglo-Saxon tradition. You know, the the more traditional Anglo-Saxon groups that we we would we would think of. It, it, it they becomes, despised Eastern yeah. Europeans. Absolutely. They despise, despise Jewish Absolutely. people. They despise Southern Europeans all across Absolutely. the board. Yeah. yeah. So so that designation. If, to me, though, the other issue I don't understand. Like I don't. And maybe it's because I'm not nope. that smart. <laughs> no. But, like, I don't understand the the you have to do one or the other thing. Um, I do understand that some things, um, and, and I was saying this before, some things organize better in, right. just in terms of strategy. But, like, it, if you're going to – so say I'm on the left, and I'm going to say, you know what I'm concerned about are economic issues. Okay, well, then you need to be concerned about race because any – thoughtful analysis of economic issues in the United States is going to say how is capital built in the United States and I'm talking about people who think about these things deeply right they're going to say well you know it was founded on um, uh, ac- access to resources based on a genocide uh, of native people here right. in the United absolutely. States absolutely and, and and that capital was built um, from from African slavery and I don't how like I don't know how you get around that, and and then and then when it comes to women, saying they're saying, and Absolutely. and it's really weird because I mean the classic Marxist analysis of this acknowledges that women are providing in in traditional i nineteenth century homes were providing um, labor at home specifically mm-hmm. so uh, capital could be built. They were they were doing jobs. Um, that were allowing workers to go to the factory. Right. And that, that was the analysis. And now we're getting into this thing where it's like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm a leftist who thinks about economics, so I don't think about issues around race and gender, which is just weird. I, and then, and then mm-hmm. of course, like the whole weird centrist Democrat thing, too, of we're going to focus on this and it's going to be all about words. Race or gender well, it's or whatever. Be about, yeah. It's not even about any sort of deep analysis. It's going to be about using the right words on TV or, you know what I mean? Appearances. And and then not addressing. And and the thing I say to all of my socialist friends is when they're, I'm concerned about economic issues. I'm like, who who the fuck do you think does all the work in this nation? I mean, like they're like economic issues. If you look at who is most affected by those, it's black and Latino, uh, uh, black women and Latinas, like overwhelmingly. So who are, who are bearing, who are bearing that? When people would, would criticize Bernie Sanders and say his focus on economics only benefited white people, and then they would turn around and talk about Fight for 15, which is, you know, a large segment is organized and driven by black and Latino right. women right. organizing and working. So, and no, I agree, I agree with you. I think part of the problem is because of the way we've dealt with social issues as Americans, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
Like, you know, when you look at the history, we've never had anything like in South Africa with a truth and reconciliation. There's never been any real attempt as a nation to reconcile, to, with, to reconcile with, with, with these issues. And and really, you know, beyond, you know, legal remedies that have been put forth, there's there has not been the consistent organizing effort to really have meaningful enforcement to really measure. I mean, look at school segregation, you know, school segregation, Brown versus Board of Education is we're 63 years past Brown versus or Brown versus Board of Education and yet we still have segregated school districts because busing really only lasted in some places once it was finally enforced for maybe 10, 15 years before it was like, okay, on to something new. So we really haven't seen, you know, we still we, we have settled law. We have settled established rights for people and yet you still have to fight for things like the right to vote. You still have to fight for access to, you know, uh different things and so it, it's a it, it becomes a problem because it's it's thought of you know a lot of this stuff is often thought of something of the past that we don't really need to talk about anymore or because i'm a leftist and i believe in all these really great things i can't be anything like those people on the right who who don't agree and it's just like well i'm not saying that you're like the people on the right i'm just saying there's gradations and that we really need to talk about this gray there's, area there's some, it's it's a complex issue. It is a very it, complex and, issue. And it's you use the word nuance before. It's it's something that requires some nuance and it's something that requires some critical thinking. What related to the thing that you're saying, uh, it, it's weird because I don't like I don't think the major emphasis should be on labels or the major emphasis should be on words. However, mm -hmm. I do think semantics matter. We are uh, one block from uh, a, a middle school here in our district. Mm -hmm. It is. It has the largest African-American population of any middle school in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and the name of that school is Stonewall Jackson Middle School. And Stonewall Jackson, some of you may know, uh, was a Confederate general. He considered himself a Virginian. He never considered himself a West Virginian. The idea, I always tell people, I'm like, the, the, it, it would be like having Emperor Hirohito High School in Hawaii or uh, General mm -hmm. Cornwallis High School in, uh, in Yorktown. Uh, he was he would have been anti-West Virginia except he died before there was a West Virginia but the, he would have been opposed to the idea of West Virginia but it was not named Stonewall Jackson it was a high school before it was a middle school it right. wasn't named Stonewall Jackson back in the 1870s it was named that in 1940 in the 1940s mm -hmm. for a very specific reason right and, and it was Stonewall Jackson High School um, and I don't know if you know anything about the history of the West Side but it has a very complex racial history it was a very direct thing. I, I mean, it was the name alone isn't the only thing that matters, right? But the name matters, you know. And and getting people to appreciate that is a difficult task. I think getting people to understand it is is a difficult task. And I do think it's incumbent upon anybody who's on the left to to do constant uh, self criticism and and an analysis of of what your what your views are and how they're uh, changing and answering people that you meet. Right. You know what I mean? And and, and just, uh, like, I can guarantee I'm going to come away thinking about some things differently because I've met you. Right, um, right. I think Same. that's a, I think that's yeah. a good thing. Um, and I, I think it's important for us to, to have that sort of – because, you know, ultimately if you're going to have a, uh, a democratic society, that, then – you have to have those conversations with your your mm -hmm, neighbors, mm -hmm. and if something matters to them, you can't just say what well, doesn't matter because you know you don't have the right economic views or or whatever. If it matters to someone, uh, a word, a name, 
uh, a label, if those things matter to someone, then they matter. They just do. Agreed. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, you know <laughs> we are here in Appalachia. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who are not from here, the word is Appalachia. Someone will fight a motherfucker if you say Appalachia. They totally will. Like, they totally will. And it's just pronunciation. I mean, that's all it is. It's not even a different word. And But people want to get bent out of shape about, I want to identify this way or I want to use this word. And it's like, no, those things matter to people because names matter to people, you know? I, I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old. You call them by the wrong name, they will lose their shit. I mean, they totally, totally, and I apologize for mispronouncing your name. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to to a sister. There, no, it's so. like we. So, so this is the one thing about name for this pronunciation. I will say about us because we've had our names butchered plenty of time as kids, you know, and 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 as adults too. But the fact that people try and at least express, like you know, did I get that right or what but is your, it correctly? But your names. So I your names it. were given to you by your parents for a very yeah. specific reason. Yeah, they were. Your is yours is Twi. Yeah, from and, Ghana. Yeah. And and your sister's was Ebo from Ebo. Nigeria. So. Higher. So, okay. So for very specific reasons, you know, I, and I, like, I don't know, like, I don't understand why people have a problem with honoring that. Like, it's a weird thing to even. Well, I think it's. Like, I think it gets back to this conversation. Like, why would you even have a problem with it? It's 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 Americans. Just it's just American American culture is so bastardized compared to everything else. Mm-hmm. I think when we look at other countries and stuff, you know, this whole like. You know, we can do whatever we want to do because it's America and it doesn't matter whether we offend people because Americans are just free. But I think this concept of freedom that we have here is really problematic because it's not really freedom. It's like this, for some people, it's this entitlement to just do as they please without any concern or consideration for how it affects other people. So getting into what you were saying, though, and I I think this ties in, we're talking about identity politics because so often we talk about identity politics as being about, you know, being a person of color, you know, black or LGBTQ or being a woman, things like that. But like when you said like Appalachia, right? Mm -hmm. And, And just being here. One of the things that I found so motivating and moving, which is why I get really passionate about talking about the commonalities between growing up, you know, Poor urban and poor rural, and, for and example. For our listeners, tell, tell us where you grew up. I grew up in New York and Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in Harlem. Uh, I remember uh, uh, New York City. The city of New York used to be one of the largest slum landlords in in the city. Um, I think actually they were the largest slum landlord. I think they owned about a third of like vacant or, or rundown property. You didn't live in Manhattan, so Donald no, Trump so wasn't we, your landlord. Which, no. well, well awesome. we live well Harlem lived a little north of there, but yeah, but no oh, no, no you he were wasn't in no, okay, you were, but the city you were in the but the city but no but the city was our landlord, not okay, not Donald gotcha. Trump. Oh okay so if, so I don't know if anyone's ever watched the show The Get Down on Netflix and it's 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 the seventies. I was I was growing up in the eighties in New York, but it was the seventies in New York and it shows like the Bronx and it's really burnt out and run down and Ed Koch is running for mayor during the course of that city that that series. One thing a lot of folks don't understand is that Ed Koch, a Democrat was a part of that whole corrupt, you know, um, landlord, you know, nonsense that that happened. And and so you grow up and, and you know, you see different things. But I do remember one time I do I had I double checked this with my dad that I didn't dream this. I was like, I remember sometime it was the it was like winter. I was like, weren't we getting water from like the fire hydrant? Because the city had cut off water to our whole building because they wanted to try and find ways to get rid of people for, to get people out of buildings because they wanted to like get the buildings and, and they couldn't get people to leave and we're just like and my dad was like you were only like three how do you remember I said I don't know I just remember buckets and hydrant outside you know, and trying to get water it's, it's really weird uh, that you bring this up because 
on Thursday I was in a meeting and heard a presentation about uh, urban development in Charleston. And of course, mm -hmm. we're in the largest quote unquote city mm -hmm. in West Virginia, mm -hmm. and we're uh, you know big city of about I think we're about forty eight thousand is about where we are. The city proper, yeah. yeah. Um, but and so I've always had trouble understanding some of my DSA comrades in New York, which is a, a very big uh, chapter of DSA. They would have uh, they have signs that say uh, that, that they've had for protests that I've seen that say uh, gentrification is violence, mm -hmm. and I had a really hard time understanding that until Thursday night, and it was really interesting. And I, I was at this meeting on Thursday night and listened to some of the things that the city of Charleston, uh, and particularly the Charleston um, Urban Renewal uh, Association, I think, I Kira, think so. uh, some of their plans and then what they were and then how they've done them and about the Triangle District. I'm from Beckley, so I, I didn't know about all this stuff, but the Triangle District, uh, which was in the center of town, which is where uh, most black folks lived uh, prior to the 1970 or so, and and ba and it's now where the, like the town center and the downtown, what we call the downtown area is, mm -hmm. and basically is completely non-residential, and how so many of those people were driven uh, from their homes. Mm -hmm. And it's really, and we're now seeing some of that Apparently, according to the information I got, uh, it, it, on what's now being called the near west side, or quote unquote, they do Elk that everywhere. City. Yeah. Now this is the now it's been rebranded as Elk City, and Elk City is where the uh, it's the non-residential side of the west side. And this is something I've noticed in the last six months. I, as a matter of fact, I drove from work back to here, and I live on the west side, and dr and my work is on the west side too. And drove down uh, whatever that is, uh, I guess, drove down Bigley, mm -hmm. and uh, and turned on Washington Street, and they've painted on the on the sidewalk or on the street itself, uh, Elk City, because they're trying to rebrand uh, mm -hmm. the near West Side um, as kind of the nice place mm -hmm. um, of the where West Side. That's the safe place. That's the nice place, and it's also where they're investing all their money, uh, and it's it is disturbing and. Like I said, names matter, labels yeah. matter, words yeah. matter, and and again, it's not the substance. Uh, the substance is what really matters, but but you can't ignore the words and the names because they they indicate what people are doing. Absolutely, and what you just what you just illustrated. Illustra well, well, before I say that, I'll say I actually that's funny because I live where I live in the city of Atlanta. Um, when we first moved there two years ago, it was just I don't know it was some amorphous area that was being redeveloped. But now two years later, we have a brand new supermarket, all this other stuff coming in, and the housing prices have, in some instances, almost doubled since we first moved do you over have a there. Whole Foods? No, we do not have a Whole Foods over near where we live. This is we're always not, we're not far from one. I will we, say this <laughs> is always now this is always how I know when when people. I used to live on the East End, uh -huh. and of course the East End has its whole weird uh makeup too and you'd have people who are like you know what really make the east end great is that we got a whole foods i'm like we just need a damn food land that we need a kroger so we need like we just end. need like a place where people can just buy groceries bring in a whole foods and all that all the working class folks who are still over there will, will whole foods is, is a sure way to, to, to push it's funny because in chicago Arugula is on special this week yeah well, <laughs> well, like, I, well in chicago <laughs> well in chicago there's a big push to bring a whole foods to a community called inglewood and inglewood is one of the most economically depressed and distressed communities it is a severe desert you know you have severe disinvestment in the area and they're like oh yeah let's put a Whole Foods here because and it's the, the same is, type of thing you're because saying because the theory is yeah. that, that you're going to renew the area 
uh, not help the people. And, and, and the idea of renewing the area is we, there are certain people that we don't want here. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it is racist at its core and I think it's we racist, have to admit it's classist it's a, it's a bunch of different things yeah. one of the things I think that your point illustrates though is the need for people to be involved in these public meetings and stuff so, absolutely so one of the things we were talking about before we, we recorded comrades. was City Hall one of the things we were talking about before we recorded was how you know the Bernie Sanders you know wave that kind of came in I mean there have been a lot of people who have been active in different ways across the country this is something I always pay homage to because I, you know we've had waves of activism basically since post the post 2000 2001 post September 11th world we've had waves of activism in so many different ways. we've seen Occupy we've seen the rising anti-war movement we've seen so much happening on Black Lives Matter just just so many different movies but, but when, we, when Bernie Sanders you know ran and, and really issued like that call to action for folks we saw a lot of people rising up in grassroots formations who might not have been the traditional organizer stock right like they're, they're people who've just rose up and really believed in self-determination and engaging their communities and it's been a really great thing to see and i love that folks talk about local but we really got to start getting down to the meat and potatoes of what getting local really means and showing up at these meetings but not just showing up at the meeting where the decision is being made but finding out what is yeah. the process you know, they will try and hide those notices someplace, but someone has to be dedicated in your area to find out, like, when they're having these discussions, what's going on. If you see a plot of land, it all of a sudden gets roped off, you know, what is, or if they put those little miniature zoning signs with the, the teeny tiny writing on it, find out what that is and show up at those meetings because what they're, they're required because it's public process and public land public input is required but if people don't show up all they can say is like oh well people don't care so we can do whatever because this has happened in so many different instances like i talk about growing up in harlem like right now there's a whole big thing people are fighting they want to call part of harlem south harlem i just read this so hot. i just yeah i just read this uh two weeks ago so hot. so hot because the whole thing is like soho which is like you know um down in the village south it's, so it's so hot. it's like at one south harlem it's the safe part of harlem yeah it's the, it it's, the, it's the it's the it's the bill so, clinton and, and, harlem <laughs> but it just it's just interesting and and like I said where I live at now has been rebranded the Upper West Side um, which is, you know, they branded part of that community like just east of us, like west of Midtown. Midtown's a very ritzy, you know, wealthy area, you know, office buildings, things like that in Atlanta. Buckhead is another, you know, Georgia Tech is there, another wealthy area. So we moved into a really nice little, you know, working middle class neighborhood. Our kids could go. My daughter goes to this really awesome high school or whatever. She really wanted to go there. I'm like, okay, we'll find some place affordable in the area to live in. Well, that affordability piece that we looked for two years ago any other families probably won't find it now because the area is being rebranded and it's being redeveloped and it's just like and and i was so busy focusing national like yeah we gotta do this we gotta do that now i'm starting to take stock of what's going on local so when i'm talking about local and getting local and what that means it's something that i'm reflecting on as well right i'm not just preaching to folks i'm i'm learning and processing it too and um this whole upper west side like i just shake my head i just there's, there's a billboard that actually says you know welcome to the upper west side and we just shook our heads like, what the hell is going yeah. on? Well, but, same, but that's thing, a, same here with Elk City. And, and what Elk they've done City is, well, what they've side. done is, the West Side used to be called Elk City because the West okay. Side originally was not part of Charleston. Oh, okay. The West Side was. I didn't know. Well, okay. uh, there's a whole history here, okay. and I've, I'm learning part of this, but there were originally five plantations uh, uh, prior uh, the, in the Antebellum South. Mm-hmm. There were five plantations, five prominent families, and we still have streets named after them mm-hmm. uh, throughout Charleston. Um, and their families are still here. Uh, five plantations that were on the west side. 
uh, and but the West Side was uh, when it once those plantations dissolved, it was Elk City. Um, and then there were lots of things that happened over here. That, uh, where we are right now is a, there was a amusement park called Luna Park, uh, and it burned yeah. to the ground in the 1920s. And it was redeveloped for whites only, um, and it was even advertised that way: whites only uh, uh, housing over here. And then shortly after, Stonewall Jackson, whites only school, uh, was built. And it, so, like all of those things matter. And but you're absolutely right. I'm actually getting. A whole education on local politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I have my my thoughts about you know what I think are kind of big issues in local politics. Like I, you know, I would just love to see Charleston be a sanctuary city for a lot of reasons because we've seen ICE agents and everything else in in the area. So I have those ideas, but but I'm just coming kind of to uh, an understanding about how uh, these things that happen, as you said, not you know uh, that aren't you know, being uh, there's not a big trumpet blast saying, "Oh, we're doing this thing." It's just happening in a meeting in you know ten minutes, fifteen minutes time, and there's you know the, mm-hmm. a Gazette reporter in the office in the in the audience, and that's it. And that has real impact on people's lives. I mean, like a very serious mm-hmm. impact on people's lives. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we see that like well, we were we talked about this too. Part of what 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 a good portion of what led to us you know leaving charleston was when the chemical spill happened i remember one of the i think it was one of the town hall one the one of the movies i think it was the one when when aaron brockovich came it was it was it was cool to see so many people show up Mm -hmm. right um and at various points and stuff at various points and stuff it was it was interesting to see people you know i remember we went to we were over in the state house when people were giving testimony and stuff mm-hmm. when, when 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 legislation was first being introduced in the house and it, it was it was really interesting seeing people you know motivated and like um i was there with my my best friend and her boyfriend at the time who was a libertarian our, our politics are so different so it was so fascinating for all three of us to be exactly on the same page about this issue because these are these issues and you that and i you, you and, and i talked about this yeah and if any listeners on this podcast have listened to a few episodes and you're not from here you may be bored hearing about this but the water crisis for us in january of 2014 was a crystallizing experience for a it, lot it of us. Really, here. like I joke with people sometimes. Like you know, I, I come from a politically conscious, socially conscious family. You know, very very uber progressive, radical folks. Um, but I've kind of been like, uh, whatever, parents. Like that's my parents' thing. Right, but you, you know, it, but you I thought it was a hobby. Like like his yeah, kids, like yeah. I you know I grew up. I voted like I was supposed to, but I have been engaged. You know, I've written op eds before when I was in college and even afterwards and stuff. And you know, but when the when the chemical spill happened here, you know, um, it was two months after my grandma had passed away. So I'm already dealing with that that process. And then you're managing the grief of children too on top of that. And then we have because it wasn't just the water crisis happening then it was like that really bad winter so the kids were yeah. like out of school for like a long time mm-hmm. too so juggling all that and then with my with not having family here it was just so complicated but I really do feel like when I look at you know what really crystallized organizing and activism for me as in my adult years that was definitely a moment it I can go back to it was definitely a big moment for me when I, that I can go back to where I really started thinking about how people when we talk about how we, we, we conceptualize power and how people need to organize and engage that was definitely a moment and I always tell people um, when I talk about what I think are a good example good examples of you know community you know civic engagement and also 
um, what happens when people are not as engaged. And I use that year, right? Yeah. Because we had, you know, there, there, was, there was a lot, there were meetings, there were a lot of people showing up. People were sending in letters to the representatives and stuff about what needed to be in the bill and, you know, their petitions. Like, there was a lot of activism. It was wonderful. There, a great tank bill got passed. And then the 2014 election came and voter turnout was like the lowest in however many years. Mm. And I was just like, that was such a missed opportunity for all those people who had helped it organize and, and galvanize. And back back to finding good organizational issues. You, you know, you have the water in West Virginia. You have the water in Flint, mm-hmm. Michigan. You have the 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 water uh, uh, that that's being affected by the um, the pipeline going through the Keystone pipeline mm-hmm. going through. Water is a good organizing issue. Water is a very because good we all need issue. it. You know, and and so that's one of those things, as you said, you know, talking to someone who's a libertarian who, you know, definitely has a questionable analysis of how things work. (laughs) But, but, you know, if you want to sit there and talk about how do we how do we make sure real democracy happens? You know, that's a good one to sit there and go, well, can we and, and I told you this when we were talking before. That was that was really for the point for me when I began identifying as a socialist um, in a more open way because basically uh, thinking if if you if you can't provide clean water uh, for people then then we're failing fundamentally right. at what, what we're doing in our in our culture and which is not a really particularly sophisticated way to arrive at socialism but you know uh, it, it it is what it is um, so yeah I you know I I think. Uh, again, just sitting there thinking, uh, you know, the native people uh, uh, who are fighting right now uh, for clean water, the folks in Flint, Michigan, who are fighting for clean water, uh, folks here who are fighting clean water, we have a lot in common, and I yeah. think uh, I think that that is is something. And you know, we're going to have a lot more in common. Uh, just you know, this week, Trump uh, uh, exited the United States from the, the Paris, Paris climate accord. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, as we see climate change happen, which apparently it's just going to happen, uh, water is going to become a more scarce resource, absolutely, and it's going to destabilize places around the globe. And we're going to have a lot in common uh, with folks uh, in in um, in the Near East and in other places who have trouble having access to water. And so, I think that is kind of you know, water is one of those things among many uh, that is kind of a rallying clock cry for, for, for working class this people. This is why, you know, yes, I'm still going to express myself as a black woman, the different sure. challenges and issues I have, but this is why I love bringing it back into the issues that, that absolutely matter between us, right? Yes. We can talk about the differences and the, this, you know, systemic issues and stuff that, that exist in terms of race and gender and things like that. But we absolutely have to talk about these things. And the one thing that I really, which is why I, I've made it a point to try and kind of touch as many West Virginia voices, because like I said, like, like that, experience and actually really getting to understand and I'm not going to pretend like I'm this great history buff on this subject but even understanding how the systematic disinvestment that has happened here in West Virginia and the way basically the land and people have been raped of opportunity and resources and just all types of stuff the lack of economic diversification and, and the fact that you know it is absolutely like you know basically both sides of the aisle work together to prevent 
new opportunities mm-hmm. or have there there are some really promising changes that are that are hopefully you know beginning to develop but like at the same time it has been it's been it was real because that was i remember remember that that election at 2014 because we, we had moved but i still pay attention to what was happening mm-hmm. and i remember seeing republicans say well well democrats have been in power for 80 years and da, 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 and you see what happened under there you know it's time for a change and people were just so probably like I mean, worn out. I mean, on some level, they were right. I mean, but it on is on some level they're right. But, but the problem is they're crazy too. Yeah, I mean, it, well, I mean, yeah. basically, it's like you, you don't like the frying pan, jump into the fire. I mean, that was kind of it, well, know, it's Trump's idea. whole. What do you have to lose? Right. And and it and it and it was so it was so because I think I think that year Kentucky also you know they also had a very very low voter turnout. I remember their outgoing um, Democratic governor had actually assign legislation that would restore the right to vote to um, you know felony vote restoration and I think when they elected they elected a Tea Party style governor who came right in and basically undid like a couple of different great things that that, that the outgoing governor did and it's like these are glaring examples because I think you know voter turnout was like 30% in those races and or 32 something like that someone something really low and it's like this is a prime example of why we need to be organizing and engaging people and I don't think people are really understanding that until now what we've seen now in this 2016 presidential election cycle we really need to be talking to people not just when it's time for people to show up and vote a few weeks before an election but we need to be talking to people in the quote unquote off cycle which really is an off cycle year nope. round building those relationships if you relationships. believe in participatory, participatory democracy you there don't have no off cycle absolutely because people people don't trust politicians or this system because it has let them down so often. And again, it's not an excuse because some of us, despite that mistrust, are still engaging and mm-hmm. fighting. But some folks are tired, and I don't blame them. But sure. but but I really think that if we really believe, like you said, in participatory democracy. Hard, you want another bourbon? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> participatory democracy or, or or we believe you know we're democratic socialists and this that and the other that's wonderful i really think that we owe it to to to, to folks you know our neighbors our community folks to read we're not going to be able to reach everybody some folks are just not going to be willing right. but i really think that if we start having conversations yep. with people as people to you know person to person yep. just about just basic life issues we're going to start reaching so many more people than so has done before so. all right so we're going to wrap it up here i've awesome. got a couple questions for you okay Okay, the questions I ask all my guests, at least if they have any connection to West Virginia. Now, you don't live in West Virginia mm-hmm. now, so we're going to ask this kind of past tense. What did you love about living in the 304? I, I'm going to be real. There's so much that I loved about being here. Um, one thing, my, my daughter, I'll give the kids, I'll give their favorite because I don't know that I can pin it down, but but the kids live on the levee was oh yeah live on the levee was there, was there and my daughter was like, oh, we get to do live on the levee. You came on a Saturday, so you're gonna miss it. Oh, oh, I feel bad for you. But <laughs> but live on the levee and festival but, yeah, are for, definitely. So for those of you who don't know, live on the levee, we have a we have a um, free live uh, music, a free right? live music uh, provided by the city of Charleston. A, a nice social mm-hmm. uh, artistic thing family that's done. Friendly. It's family great. friendly, family yeah. friendly, all summer long on uh, Friday nights down at Haddad Park on the river and it's lovely and wonderful. And, and then festival, festival. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, is, is the other thing. There was actually, I think there was a painting, someone, some some artists, the kids basically were playing and they stay with my friends and it's always very interesting, you know, my friends are white, my kids obviously are black, um, but but everyone always looks at my friend when she sees the kids and they, they always look at her like, um, she's like, yeah, they're all mine. What? <laughs> so 
but they were all playing and stuff and they were captured in a mural that in a, in a small painting someone did so they were really excited they're like i wonder if we'll see that artist again so those are their two favorite things and i will i will we we've we had fun you know participating in those activities when we lived here awesome um and then yeah, and I mean the I mean it's a beautiful place. The state as a whole is a very beautiful place. It and it, and it's every time I come back here, my sister actually when we very first moved here, my younger sister and my younger brother actually moved with me to help us settle in um cuz the kids were 6 and 9 at the time, so they they helped me uh get settled and stuff. So my sister lived here for a while too. So when we pulled up tonight, we pulled up she was she was giddy. She was just as excited as the kids were. She just motioned how yeah, much she loved it. Did she? So, <laughs> cuz she hasn't been back since she left um and several years ago. So she was like, "Oh my god, I forgot how beautiful it is." And so, so it it is. And and really people I think I think I've, I've met some of the most genuine and wonderful people here. Um, like I said, one of my best friends is she teeters back and forth between Republican and Libertarian, and we I think it wow. took us about a good two years before we realized we were completely opposite in our mm-hmm. politics. But because we had similar interests in kids and other stuff, whatever, it never came up until our sons were fighting about Barack Obama one day. Mm. Um, and then we had to quickly decide right there, were we going to let this affect our friendship or were we just going to just not really delve into politics? And it has been a very interesting two-year period with her. She's like, I love you, my little progressive powerhouse even though i don't agree with most of your politics i said i appreciate that i appreciate you supporting well, me well hopefully even you don't. she wants health care and clean water she yeah she's we'll weird about she's weird about health care but she does agree about the clean water all right and the second question i gotta ask you the flip side of that what do you what did you hate about living in the 304 i i hated the fact that i left i had to leave well, well i felt that i had to leave like like i said not having any family and stuff but really during the during the the, the water crisis just just the struggle to get people in positions of authority to listen to the challenges and and really finding a way to resolve it. Like that was really, I think the worst part of being here. Like, you know, the water company was absolutely not helpful at all. Nope. Um, and I've, I've seen all the stuff about the, 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 the the proposed um, settlement agreement and stuff, which, which hopefully, you know, that all gets approved and everything will be good with that. But you know, the, the way the narrative kept changing and stuff and just even just watching, you know, the state government leaders kind of fall apart and fall down on that. It just, it just was, it's just like the sheer incompetence, which is why we need you all to be involved, to be engaged, to help have good leaders, you know, in these positions across the board who are accountable to us and not, you know, whomever are in the back rooms, you know, signing the checks and stuff. So that was, I think, a downside for me because I was, I was just very, you know, when, 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 uh, well, Dr. Tyranny did her interview talking about people were having rashes because, um, they were not used to bathing and it had been however many weeks of people, you know, when, when they went out of their way to dispel any possibility that there really could have actually been something wrong with the water, which was, I mean, it, that, that was so dismaying. So that was something I really did not like about yeah. being here. Um, but as we later saw with Flint and we've seen with other places, that is a situation in these areas where there is mismanagement of water, where there is mismanagement in government, period. People just skate by and aren't really putting you know public health and environmental concerns at the forefront right um so so that was a downside but but like i like i told you i've met some of the most genuine and wonderful people here and so which is why we come back um at least once a year if not more frequently to visit so. all right well i hope you come back again and this is anoa changa and your podcast is called the way with anoa yep i recommend you listen to it lots of good stuff thanks for being here thank you for having me all right take care
We have a few announcements for you this episode. Rise Up West Virginia is having a Medicare for All campus every Monday in June, starting at 6 p.m. They're meeting at the West Virginia State University Economic Development Center. That's 6 p.m. every Monday in June. On Sunday, June 25th at 3 o'clock, there is a Protect Our Healthcare rally. Uh, it is at the Capitol Complex here in Charleston. It's uh, sponsored by Planned Parenthood and 12 other organizations, including the Kanawha Valley DSA. On Wednesday, June 28th at 6.30 p.m., Rise Up West Virginia is meeting, uh, having their general meeting at St. John's Church. And on Thursday, July 13th at 7 p.m. is the next meeting of the Kanawha Valley Democratic Socialists of America. This and lots more announcements can be found uh, if you follow us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at KVDSA. That's at KVDSA. Or like us on Facebook, Kanawha Valley Democratic Socialists. That's all we have for this week, folks. You can send questions and comments to KanawhaValleyDSA at gmail.com. That's K-A-N-A-W-H-A ValleyDSA at gmail.com. All opinions expressed are solely those of the show's producer. That's me. Our closing credits music is by those undead sons of Appalachia, the big bad. Until next time, this is Wolfman Jack reminding you to resist, organize, and join your local union. I'm not